And we are back. This is Alexander Juan Antonio Cortez, and this is the Art of Health podcast. How are we doing, everybody? So it's been a while since we have podcasted. We are overdue for a talk. Topic today comes from questions, a lot of questions that are kind of aggregated over the last few weeks about volume training and uh, hit training. So volume training and high-intensity training in regards to lifting weights. So you may not know what either of these two things are. I'm going to talk on these subjects subjects as if you do, but let's give a rundown. With volume training versus high-intensity training, we're referring to two schools of thought in the training community, bodybuilding community, you could say. With volume training, you build muscle by doing more reps and essentially doing more sets and reps over time. And your results are proportionate to the amount of volume that you do. Now, volume training is interesting for the fact that it was not supported by research in regards to actual studies that were done or have been done. But at the same time, it was not unsupported by research. With exercise, you have to understand this from a perspective of applied science versus you could call laboratory science. In an applied science setting, which is really just someone in the gym, someone training in the gym, someone learning how to train themselves, your body absolutely does follow biological principles. However, the nuances and the variability of those principles is pretty vast. And in a clinical setting, you have to control for all these variances. So what does that mean? That means that exercise science as a field, it's a young field. Lots of the sciences, things that we take for granted as being I guess you'd say almost gospel-like in their search for the truth, they're very recent. Uh, The idea of specialized sciences is something that came about over the last 150 years. It's not as if these are fields, so to speak, like exercise science that have existed unto antiquity. So with exercise science, if you're going to do a study on lifting weights, you have to make sure everyone is at the same level. You have to control the variables. You have to monitor everything. You have to make everything very easy to measure. There's a reason that the majority of studies always use machines. Why would they use machines? Machines are inferior to free weights. Uh, so, so it will be said in the you know, sort of the fitness market. Well, they use machines because machines are the only ways you can objectively measure that people are creating the same amount of force and the same amount of equipment. You also have to account for people's recovery. You have to account for, you know, like I said, their age, their training experience. You have to do stuff in a manner that's very, very measurable. You have to eliminate all these variances. And with exercise science studies, with training studies done on people that work out, that lift weights, you are essentially removing the elements of reality that would exist otherwise. So in a typical training setting where you go to the gym and you find what your body what works for your body, what works for you, you have to take that away. You have to take away the personalization element when you're doing an exercise uh, resistance training study. Now, this doesn't mean that resistance training studies are worthless, but resistance training studies, by their very nature, they're seeking to find the most common denominator and they're seeking to find the mean. They're not looking to find what is most optimal. They're not trying to determine what the long-term continuum is of training and practice. They're seeking to find something within a fixed range of time with as few factors as possible, preferably very, preferably none. And does this work for people? Does it not? So training, the results of training, uh, you know, if you compile them in regards to resistance training, you'll find a plethora of studies that support doing uh, one, one set, for example. So you'll find lots and lots and lots of studies done that support 
doing one set versus multiple sets and if the strength gains are equal to one set you know, versus doing three or four or five sets. And HIT training is kind of based upon this scientific principle, you could call it, that your training should always be measurable, you should always seek to do slightly more than time before, that you don't need more than one set to achieve true muscular failure, and that one set allows you to progress towards steady and measurable gains over a long period of time, that doing one set is enough for adequate uh, adaptive stimulus, and you find a lot of evidence supporting you know, low-volume training, low-volume high-intensity training. That's what HIT training is. There's lots and lots and lots of scientific evidence. So you could ask the question, well, you know, why should you even do two sets then? Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing about this. These studies are all done, as I said, in controlled settings, and all these studies are essentially designed on the predication that muscle and muscle groups they all work in the exact same way, and that all bodies are very, very, very similar. And this is where that this is where that's not true, or this is where that that is an incomplete picture. Different muscle groups on your body respond differently to different levels of volume and resistance. So, to give an easy example, uh, HIT training—they'll tell you that uh, you should only do shoulder pressing, and that's all you need to do, and never anything more in one set. Well, here's the thing with shoulders. The shoulders have you know, about six axial functions of motion they can move in. Is training your shoulders only one range of motion going to be effective for total hypertrophy and long-term joint health? Probably not. Maybe. So, you know, just to use that as an example, if all you do is shoulder press, it's possible that you could have uh, motor coordination or tissue hypertrophy deficiency along other aspects of your shoulder girdle. And just doing one exercise for your shoulders in one set is not going to be sufficient. So that's one example. Um, another example, a lot of HIT training, you know, as applied to the real world, since the, you have to understand there's a big massive gap between in the lab science versus real world applied science, as they call it. HIT training as applied to the real world, you cannot find too many examples of very, very muscular people that only use one set in their training. So I was asked the question, uh, Mike Menster, he, you know, he pioneered doing one set. So did he train with one set his whole career? No, he didn't. Mike Menser trained like everybody else, doing lots of sets. And then when he aligned himself with Arthur Jones, Arthur Jones was the progenitor of high-intensity training. He considered it the world's most scientific training method for various reasons. When he aligned himself with Arthur Jones, then he became a, of do- a proponent of doing only one set per muscle group. So you have to take that into account. You have to take into account that doing only one set per muscle group works very well for beginners. You have to take into account that doing only one, only one set per muscle group does not work very well for intermediate or advanced people. You have to take into account that not everybody has access to perfectly well-manufactured machine, machines that suit their exact biomechanics. You have to take into account the hundreds of years, thousands of years of evidence of athletes or, let's just say, bodybuilders who trained using lots of sets, multiple sets and reps, and they substantially got larger. You have to take into account the new research that exists, done by various scientists, that shows that volume training is superior for hypertrophy if you want to increase muscle mass. So there's a lot of confliction with this. So when you bring up the subject of HIT training versus volume training, and there are people who I absolutely respect who they will say outright that I, I think it's a waste of time to do more than one set, and you can get perfectly good results doing uh, you know, just a single set of an exercise or, you know, a waste of time doing multiple sets, and you should only do single sets. I respect those people, and relative to the way they lay out their arguments, they are correct, but their arguments tend to be incomplete relative to the entire body of 
practical, applied, and scientific research and, let's say, experiential evidence. So, you know, what's my opinion? How should you think about this? You have to think about this this way. Or I'll say, you, shouldn't, you don't have to think about this, but consider thinking about this, thinking about it this way. You have HIT training versus volume training. What, does, what is HIT training built upon? HIT training is built upon the principle of progressive overload, that you pick key movements that work very well for yourself. You find the exercises that work for you, and that you do those things for the purpose of increased weight or increased reps, and over time your weights get heavier and your reps go up. So I've used this example before, but if you dumbbell shoulder press, if you determine that dumbbell shoulder pressing is a very effective movement for you in regards to your shoulder hypertrophy relative to the overhead pressing pattern, that you do dumbbell shoulder presses and you aim to increase your reps, let's say in the 6 to 15 rep range. Let's say, yeah, 6 to 15 rep range, we'll go with that. And over time, you go from pressing 30-pound dumbbells for 6 reps to 7 reps to 8 reps to 9 reps to 10, all the way up to 15, and then you increase the weight to 40 pounds or 45, let's say, and you start again at six, and you do this for a period of years, and over a period of, let's say, eight years, you end up pressing the 100-pound dumbbells for eight reps. That could be done, that has been done, that could be done using a hit style of training in which you work up to one all-out set with the weight, and then you record, and then you come back the next time, you try to do a few more reps, one more rep, or you know maybe a little more weight. Now, you can apply that principle, you can apply this HIT training principle to many exercises and many muscle groups. You could apply it to hack squats, you could apply it to bench press, you could apply it to deadlifts, you could apply it to warm and rows. It works very well for key movements. However, you also run into an issue over time that you cannot make continuous, constant, linear progress in every single movement. You'll run into issues where you'll develop overuse irritations and aggravations from doing the same movements over and over. You'll run into issues where when you're past the beginner phase that it's simply not enough volume relative to the working capacity of the muscle and what it needs to adapt. So you start running into all these compounding issues which end up making HIIT training not always effective. It can be ineffective. Now there are examples of people, let's say like Dorian Yates, he was the Mr. Olympia during the 1990s, he used high intensity training very effectively. He also injured himself a lot. He's not able to train with weights at all today because of his injuries. And even if you look at his training, did he really only do one set? No, he would do multiple sets working up to a top set. So if he did, let's say, uh, what were some of his favorite movements? Incline bench press. He would work up with, he would basically pyramid up in weight. (laughs) He'd pyramid up in weight to an all-out set and then move on. So his training, he used the hit principle of doing, you know, the one all-out set, absolutely, but he still did multiple warm-up sets, you know, you could say pre-exhaustion sets, before he did that all-out set. It was not true hit training as defined by the signs. And the science in itself, the, you know, the way that modern exercise science is done today, it's not truly scientific in the sensibility that it views all possible vari- uh, variabilities and factors. It's scientific simply in the sense that it's using the scientific method as I said, to evaluate something in a very controlled environment. So using the scientific method to try to study something does not mean that your outcome is truly scientific in its implications. I could use the scientific method to study many things, which, which would be highly irrational and inapplicable and oftentimes irrelevant in the real world. And you see this a lot in you know, postmodern social sciences, which I'm kind of sidetracking right now. 
But point being, just because a study was done does not mean that the results are true or that the results are the, you know, the perfect knowledge of what should be done you know, from this point forward. Nor does a scientific study represent the totality of the truth or the totality of the evidence or the totality of the methodology or the totality of the philosophy. So are there studies that support doing one set? Yes, there are many and is can be very relevant and can be very useful in certain situations to do only one working set of an exercise you know, in certain populations. But it would be folly to ignore the fact that many successful athletes and bodybuilders have used multiple volume sets, multiple sets, to achieve their results and have done so at an extremely high world-class elite level. So that's kind of hit training, you know, in a, not in a nutshell, but gives you some sort of overview and hopefully some sense of what it's about. What about volume training? What's volume training? Volume training is simply doing more than one set for an exercise. Three sets of five, three sets of ten, five sets of ten, six sets of eight, six sets of six, three sets of six. What's the best version of volume training? There isn't one. It's all relative to the movement you're doing, to your own capabilities, and the effect you're trying to achieve. Now, with volume training, volume training has something of a different perspective. Volume training is predicated on the idea that your body over time, it will need more and more and more stimulus to achieve an adaptive effect. And guess what? That's true. That is true. What happens with HIT training proponents, which I've seen this happen many times over, is that they hit a certain level of results for their training, and they refuse to think otherwise that they could achieve more muscle growth or greater strength gains by doing more volume. Henceforth, they don't. They, you know, they stick with HIT training, and they don't want to. You know, they've dismissed outright the idea of volume training, and they shortchange their results. If you go through and evaluate natural bodybuilders from before the steroid era. Yeah, let's just, let's just say steroid. You know, let's just take steroids out of the equation since someone always brings that up. If you look at natural bodybuilders before the advent of steroids, 1920s, 30s, 40s, 50, up to 50s, they all use volume training. All the guys did multiple sets to achieve very phenomenal results. You do not see anybody that only did one set of an exercise. You, you don't. It just doesn't exist. As you get into the steroid era, you know, so guys taking out anabolics, you see volume start to go up. A lot of guys did a lot of volume. And then you get into the early 1980s, 1990s, and then people start to ask the question, maybe we don't need this much volume to achieve an adaptive effect. And it's true. You don't necessarily need as much volume as you think to achieve an adaptive effect. But what is true is that you will gradually need to increase the extent and the intensity of the stimulus you're applying to your body over time to keep adapting. And that oftentimes takes more volume than when you first start out in year one of training or year two or year five. What you find with time is that many advanced athletes, strength athletes, bodybuilders, their volume might plateau past a certain point, or their volume might plateau at a certain point, but their volume does oftentimes definitely go up over their career. Or what happens, their volume plateau stays the same, but their ability to increase the intensity of their training, that increases. And there's lots of ways to increase intensity. So there's lots of ways to damage a muscle, basically, is what I'm saying. So taking you know, the, this volume perspective to account, does that mean that you need to go from three sets to four sets to six sets to 20 sets to get your biceps bigger? No, probably not, maybe. But it does mean that your weight's willing to go up and get heavier. It does mean that at a certain point, you'll need to find creative ways to increase the damage or find creative ways to damage the muscles in the first place. It does mean that over time, what worked, as I said, in year one won't work in year five or year 10. So your training is a continuum. It has to change over time. And, and that's really at the heart of this issue. So I know I'm probably not making much sense on this podcast, but what am I really getting at? 
Training is a continuum. It's a continuum meaning that it changes over time and you need to adapt your training. You need to change your training to suit your adaptive response and your adaptive response is not linear. It's not always the same and you need to make modifications and adjustments based upon your feedback and based upon your own personal improvements. It might be that in the beginning you can use a volume training approach and over time as you get stronger you find that maybe a lower volume, higher intensity approach works well and then over time you find that kind of creates some aggravation. It's you know lifting heavy can be hard on the joints and you go back to a volume training approach. All these things change. I can find examples of I can find every range of examples of bodybuilders that start off with really high volume training and over time switch to much more high intensity lower volume training. I can find you examples of athletes that use a high intensity low volume, moderate intensity, moderate volume, low intensity, high volume, where they roll their training over the course of the year. I can find you athletes that have shifted towards a very high volume approach as they've gotten older because that works well for them and they don't have to worry about the weights or the, you know, the uh, you know, in terms of like heavy lifting and it's easy on the joints. I can find you every possible example of every possible combination. What should you do? I have no idea. I don't know what your training level is. I don't know what your training capabilities are. I don't know where you are at. What I can tell you is that you need to experiment with different approaches and try these different methodologies. And then over time, you'll develop a personal, feedback-based, customized, intuitive training instinct as to what your body needs. I can tell you the way my training's changed. I can't really tell you how your training should change. This is why I always ask people questions. Should I use a bodybuilding approach? Should I train with high volume? Well, here's the reality. Your body will often respond to novel stimulus. So if you've been doing the same thing for a while, doing something dramatically different often yields results. If you've been following a volume style approach and you always do high reps, then yeah, doing sets of five and doing high rep, you know, high intensity sets, that can be very effective. If all if you've always trained like a bodybuilder, training like a powerlifter for six months could yield dividends to your strength and muscle development. If you train like a powerlifter, it could be highly effective to use high reps in your training and increase your muscle mass. If you've been high intensity training you know, for a while, it could be very effective to go to volume training for a while. So seeking the opposite of what you have typically been doing could be very effective. Or you could adopt a middle ground approach, which is what I personally use, where I use a combination of HIT training for my key movements. I use a combination of volume training for when my HIT training kind of plateaus. I use a combination of moderate volume training for my, uh, you know, I would say you, you call them my supplemental or uh, accessory exercises. I, I use a mixed approach because that works well and I'm able to modulate the different methodologies I use to keep myself progressing. But I've learned that approach with time because I've experimented with everything. So, you know, the, the argument and debate between HIT training and volume training, which is better, they're both equally effective depending on the circumstances. They both have equal application depending upon how you're using them. They both have effective application depending upon the situation, the individual. You should try using both. I will never advocate for an exclusive approach of just one method because that is then ignorant. That, that then becomes ignorant to the fact that your body will change with time and then you're then excluding and you're leaving results on the table by refusing to change in the future when you probably will likely need to. So HIT training versus volume training. You know, should you do them? You should do both of them. You should try each of them out and then try combining them and see what the results are. So that's the rambling conversation upon that. If you guys have questions about this, please ask me. I know I didn't really dive into the history of either of these things. I could get, I probably should have, 
but you know, they've both been around a while. Relative to the body of evidence, like I said, throughout history, human beings have found that the more you do something, the better you get at it. So that is ample evidence, I think, for volume training. At the same time, people have also found that the minimum dose and what you need to adapt may be less than you think. And there's also ample evidence for the HIT training approach, so you could try that. And both of them together, they both are complementary to each other if you know how to use them. So try them out. Ask me some questions if you want. Perhaps this gave you some, you know, some points to think on. And if you want to explore these things, <sighs> sources which are good. Uh, you know, Arnold's uh, uh, Arnold's uh, Encyclopedia of Bodybuilding is a good book. That's very much a volume style book. If you read the training details of it, that's pretty good. A book that I would recommend: try checking out Marty Gallagher's Purposeful Primitive. That's a very good book. It gives you kind of a history of the Iron Game. You can also check out, uh, there, you know, there's books by Ellington Darden on HIT training. The, the problem with, with checking out the books that are written upon these topics, they're like specialist books. You know, Darden's books are good. They're all about high-intensity training. But he's extremely dogmatic in regards to HIT training being superior. And he uses fallacious reasoning to try to convince you this is, that this is the only way you should train. So I'm very, always very hesitant to recommend anything that suggests everything or nothing approaches. But check these books out, do your research, come up with some questions, and come back and ask me, and we can talk about it. So until next time, until next time guys, that's hit training, volume training for you, things to think about, and I'll talk to you again.